Hey everybody, welcome back to the Digital Tool Crib, uh, season two. Season one was very short. <laughs> it was like a pilot. I think we had two episodes, but we did. We were back by popular demand. There's a few people that asked when the next episodes were coming out. So it's been crazy busy for both Jason and myself, and we thought we'd finally sit down and uh, talk through some things. So uh, just go ahead and Jason, if you want to introduce yourself. My name is Jason Oban. I'm the Director of Teaching and Learning at Medicine Head College, uh, Library Services, Center for Innovation and Teaching Excellence. So that's where I'm at. Awesome. And I'm Chad Flynn, the Dean of Trades and Technology here at Medicine Hat College. And this is a, the brainchild. Actually, it goes back to a shout out to actually Vancouver Island University. Dr. Sally Vinden put together this thing called the Digital Tool Shed. And it's a thing that they do on Friday mornings for uh, their trades faculty, where they get some time together and they, they discuss all things pedagogy, which we'll get into today and that sort of thing. We were thinking about how can we offer that as kind of a something like that at Medicine Hat College. And this is kind of what we came up with was the idea of maybe we'll just start with the podcast and expand it from there. And so that's why we're here, just for those who are new to the podcast and or the video or whatever you're watching on YouTube. And I uh, thought we'd go from there. So we're back for season two. Jason and I have kind of gone through and come up with some ideas of things to talk about. And uh, Jason, what do, you, what do you got for us today? Uh, well, I just we're, we're going to talk about, could you just use the P word? <laughs> like, <laughs> I know I get flack for that in the office all the time because it's like half and half, half don't mind the term and half hate the term. Yeah, well, we'll talk about that in uh, just a minute. But do you, so this is the tool crib. Uh, it's an educational development podcast to support trades. And why did why did you decide to do it like this? Uh, you know, why did you decide to do it like this? Because I think that 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 goes to the heart of of one of the things that we want to talk about today, which is some of the barriers when we provide educational development. What is educational development? But but why is it so hard to reach trades instructors? It's that's a great question. A lot of it is that we just don't the trades instructors don't follow the regular schedule of a semester program. They're often in eight week chunks or 12 week chunks, depending on which trade you're in and what year you're in. And they, they generally start early and end kind of later on. So typically there's instructors are in class from about 730 till 3pm. Oftentimes when we have PD events at the college, they're over lunch or they might be around two-ish or wherever, they, they, they don't fit in the same time frame. So I thought, well, it'd be nice to have some sort of professional development for our trades instructor, our trades faculties. And the, the only time we could really do it because they start class so darn early is, well, we'd have to have like a 7 a.m. or 6.30 a.m. session, which was almost crazy too early. And I'm a morning person. Mm -hmm. So that, well, how can we do that? And we thought, well, maybe something's asynchronously or something that they can get access to whenever they want to just in time. And that's where we came up with the idea of a podcast. We, you and I can sit and have a conversation. We can have guests on and then the faculty can listen to it at their leisure if they want. Yeah. And we got to get some guests. We got, we'll get some lined up. We'll get Peter Kelly to talk about high flex. Totally. We'll get, we'll get Paul Sean from Carpentry to talk about, yeah. we'll get him and Mark, him and Mark to come on and talk yeah. about how they're using reflective journaling. In, in carpentry. So a lot of the work in TVET has been done in, in the UK. You know, there's not, mm -hmm. not a ton being done in Canada. And so some of the quotes that I'm going to read have a have a distinctively British flair. But you I say, won't it do it. say it in the accent? <laughs> well, I won't do it. I'm not going to fake the British accent. That's only for my son when I'm reading Harry Potter. <laughs> So, but one of the, one of the, my favorite quotes that captures the difficulty in providing educational development, uh, you know, a difficult phrase there too, 
is the language that we use. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, it, it's not everybody understands what that is, uh, but especially for trades instructors. And, and here's a quote from this uh, article, Oren Robinson, where they say, I'm just going to quote it because this is hilarious. They say the term pedagogy might frighten the horses. And, and then there's this other guy, McLaughlin, who occurs where he says, of all the terms we have discussed, the one that gets people most agitated is pedagogy. So how do we how do we start to to uh, how do we start to unpackage that? Especially because Lucas says this, and I think this is great that the evidence suggests that serious consideration of pedagogy is largely missing in vocational education. And vocational learners are losers as a result of this omission. So we can't talk about it because it frightens the horses. You know, it, it's it causes agitation. We're like pedagogy. You know, it's it's a, it's a it's a weird word in and of itself. But if we don't talk about it. Students are the losers. So I think as we think about educational development, one of the things we kind of need to start with is the language that we're using. And how how do we how do we break down those barriers? What would you say about the language? What would you say? Like, is is there better ways to approach trades instructors with this stuff? No, this is a this is a conversation I've been having over the past couple of years in regards to that. And I would say, like, just to provide some context, when I first started teaching, the, I had no idea what the word pedagogy meant. And then, I mean, we can get into pedagogy, andragogy and all that fun stuff, but those are, they're big words that, that basically when a trades instructor hears that they think, Oh, that's the academic side using their frou-frou language. And it, that has nothing to do with us. We're into trades training. We don't need to worry about all these learning theories. So it kind of, they, they think it's above them, but it's not. And that's, a, that's the, the struggle that I have is as somebody who loves the all things pedagogical. And like, I have a passion for that term. How do I infuse that with my faculty? So they're not generally unhappy when they hear that term. And I do, they are like, I would say in my own faculty, half of them roll their eyes when I use the term and half of them don't mind it. So a, a group, I belong to this group of people. We have a group chat and they're all trades educators as well. And now have moved on to administrative positions. And we, we talk about this often in the sense that I think we need to make the term more familiar so that the horses don't get afraid of it because I mean, we can replace the term for sure that we could say teaching and learning or whatever curriculum or whatever. But the problem is when you're doing that, we're excluding them from the conversation that academics and the academic side has. And I think there's a lot that TVET instructors can add to this conversation. And if we try to change their term versus the academic term pedagogy. I think we're, we're missing that when we need to bridge that somehow. So I think it's becoming more and more ubiquitous, like the term pedagogy, they actually know what it means now. And I think we're using it more and we're trying to take the edge off of it. But I mean, it's still, I think we still have a long ways to go. So I don't know if I answered any of your question aside from the fact that it's, it is a, a bit of a messy situation. Yeah, no, I think that that's, you know, I think you've really got it if we don't use the term that other people are using, it can only, it could further marginalize Mm -hmm. TVET instructors. Mm -hmm. But if we use that phrase with those people, and I think what it communicates is that all trades instructors, all instructors are on a developmental spectrum. You know, some are going to be more comfortable using that phrase and other people are not going to be very, very comfortable using it. And there's risks in either way. There's risks if we don't, if we don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. And I think some of it too comes from like how they identify themselves. Like when I first started teaching, I basically, and the joke's always like you finish an industry on a Friday and you're in front of a class on a Monday. So what happens with TVET instructors is they, they identify themselves as an electrician who teaches at 
whatever school, MHC or SAIT or NATE or BCIT, they don't identify as educators that have a particular skill set. And so what I would love to see is for more instructors to start embracing that they're educators before that they're plumbers or electricians or carpenters. And I think with that, we could start seeing that that shift because they're right now, I think a lot of the problem too is when we talk TVET, which is trades vocational education and training, that last T kind of bugs me is the training aspect. Like we're not, when you think training, we think hands-on skills, which is important. There's no doubt. There's definitely importance in the hands-on aspect of it, especially when we're talking about skilled trades. But there's also like, there's the hidden curriculum. There's the the soft skills. There's the theory. There's, there's a ton that goes behind that as well. So it's not just training. And I have a friend who teaches at Humber College in um, Ontario. He's a plumbing instructor. He will not, he refuses to even call himself an instructor. He, he identifies himself as a professor. He's a plumbing professor and he takes it very, very seriously. He's, he said when he first started, Edward said he, he was a plumber first, then an educator. Now he identifies as an educator first with a plumbing background. So it's something that I think is important. No, it's really interesting. So I just completed my, my dissertation and I interviewed directors of teaching and learning centers from across Canada. And one of the themes that came up was trades instructors kind of eschew that identity of being an, you know, and this, this self-limiting beliefs and their mm-hmm. reluctance to identify as an educator, you know, that makes educational development very difficult because they don't identify with it. They don't see themselves in that role. And so therefore they don't access and aren't interested in professional development around, around pedagogy. Mm-hmm. And this is actually, um, you know, this comes from uh this comes from an article that I was reading. So how would you respond to someone who, who would say something like this? That would say, vocational pedagogy isn't about teaching and learning strategies. It's about being good at what you do. It's about knowing how to be a good chef, a good plumber, a good steam fitter, a good welder, and working in a realistic environment. How would you respond to somebody when, if, if they were to say that, you know, I'm, 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 not, really in the, I'm not really interested in the, the teaching and learning strategies? See, and I would push back hard on that in the sense that, like even if you weren't an instructor to college, part of our um, our practice when we become tradespeople is to go out and to become journey people, and we have apprentices work under us. And in that, we teach our apprentices our trade. Now, yes, we are teaching hands-on things, but we are teaching. Like there is some teaching and learning that goes into that, and there's some ways that are taught better than others. And I think anybody who's been part of a trade will agree that they've had journey people who are better teachers than others. Well, what made them better? Well, maybe we could learn from them. We could learn from different, different techniques. So that's, that's just on the trade side of thing. Now, when I start talking about trades educators, it goes into, you are like, yes, you are in the shop a lot of the time. And depending on the trade, you could be in there over 50% of the time. You are still in the classroom though. You're still working on the theory side of things. And now that we're in this world of, I don't know if we can even come close to calling it post pandemic, but we've seen that we've brought digital pedagogy or digital teaching and learning together. How can you escape from the fact that there are things that you could learn as in regards to teaching and learning in regards to how we deliver our TVET instruction. So there's, there's a lot in that. You can't just say that it's only hands-on. I'm just teaching somebody how to wire a plug and, you know, strip wire as an electrician. I'm not, I'm teaching them about Ohm's law. I'm teaching them about all the, the triangles that they need to know power and all that. There's so much more that just goes into it. And I think that's where, when we're talking about TVET, a lot of people think it's just the, the hands-on skills. 
And it's not. And then you, we start seeing people like you mentioned earlier, like Paul and, and uh, Mark, and they're starting to integrate these reflective practices that you would never see in, in trades education before. And they're saying it's, it's making a huge difference. It, it stemmed from a conversation you had years ago with, with Paul, I believe. And so we're seeing these little tweaks that are happening and these instructors taking it to a whole new level. Yeah, I didn't even know about this until you shared it with me. I'm going to have coffee with him pretty soon. I'm very excited about it to know that he not only kept with the reflective journaling, but that he expanded it, mm -hmm. but also that he's seeing some impacts with his students. Now yeah. That's that's some that's some stuff that if we would have, you know, if we would have been thinking at the time, we probably could have done some research on it. We probably still can do some research on it. And hopefully we'll, we'll talk about that in a, in a little bit. But the whole reason Paul came to me at that time was because he wanted to teach the whole person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he didn't he didn't want to just teach the hand skills. He wanted to teach the whole person. He said, as he said, it, I want to teach somebody how to be good on the job site. Yeah. Right. Like not yeah. just being a good carpenter, but being somebody who's like a good teammate, mm -hmm. being a good human being, being yeah. a good, you know, being a good. So it was it went so far beyond this idea of just training the skill. And you've mentioned digital pedagogies and, and then there's there's some resistance to those, too. So and, and we're starting to see that, which is why we got to get we got to get Paul and Mark on here. But, you know, we did this active learning session one time where a trades instructor said to me, we know all about active learning. It's called shop class. <laughs> and, and how do you react to that? How do you react to that phrase? You know, how do you, how do you, well, how do you react to that, that response? I, again, like maybe I'm just pushy, but I push back on that too, because yes, there's active learning techniques that you just naturally do because that's how you've picked it up from the trade. So what happens is these trades instructors, you see it all the time. They, some of them will have been foremen or site superintendents when they were on the tools. So they, they decide that they want to get into education for whatever reason. So what they do is they take the way that they've learned how to manage a team of, of workers into the classroom. And so they kind of set up their classroom as a crew and which is, it's good. I'm not saying that that's not, that's not a bad thing necessarily. It's experiential learning and they're setting them up exactly how it would be in the quote unquote real world. But at the same time, there's other methods like we can be using other methods to teach them how to use these tools. And we can, we can think outside of our own circles and, and start to realize that. And this is one thing that, that I find is a challenge is I often hear from trades faculty that, well, academics don't take us seriously. So why should we even bother with them? But I hate to push back, but we're kind of part of the problem as well in the sense that we think we've got our own techniques dialed in and we can't have nothing to learn from academics. And now that, I kind of, I like to play in both sandboxes. I, I see there's so much value that the trade side can learn from academics and, and from pedagogy and from teaching techniques and, and the brain science and all that. Like there's so much behind all that, that we can take into our shop class, even not just the theories class, but the hands-on active learning that they're doing, well, we can even take it up a notch. Right. Absolutely. So there's lots of rooms to grow. And I think that that this is um, where we're at right now. And what we're talking about is reflective of, of something. Here's, here's another quote that I'm going to that I'm going to throw out there, because it seems like the right time to do it because because people aren't interacting with this, this phrase, they're not, they're not coming into contact with this idea that they're educator. And so this guy back in 1997, you know, so over 20 years ago said, and this is typically British, right, just the way he says it. Yeah. 
Uh, if the state could be put on trial, charged with the crime of consistent neglect of vocational education and training, much in evidence could be called for the prosecution. What he's saying there is that if there, you know, if there was a trial that was charging someone, let's, I, I don't know who, I don't know who we would say, but let's just say post-secondary in general, you know, that post-secondary in general is on trial for consistently neglecting vocational education and training. There's tons of evidence for that. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, we get, we get calls. It's been called the, the poor cousin of, of academic education. But, at the, the, but so that's what they were saying 20 years ago. And I think that there is a lot of evidence to show that we haven't been, we haven't paid enough attention to this. But do you feel like this is still the case or do you feel like things are changing? Because there's a lot of focus on skills right now. Yep. A lot of focus, like almost every conversation that I'm, you know, that I, that I have lately is all about skills, 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 skills. And the province of Alberta is looking at apprenticeship expansion. Like they, they, they you know, they like that model. They like the way that instruction and that actually they're redoing the whole apprenticeship model. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So talk a little bit about that. Like, is, is, do you see evidence that the period of neglect is over, that there's a new period dawning, that there's more focus on, on skills and the importance of vocational pedagogy and vocational training? What, what are your thoughts? So I think, I mean, that's, there's a lot to unpack in that. Yeah. I do think so. A, yes, I would agree back in 97. That's basically right around when I first started my trade. Yeah, I would agree that that's, we were kind of considered the poor cousin. And you look at it, the evidence is at the high schools and at the, even at the polytechnics, the trades programs are generally at the back of the building or on another part of the campus that was kind of behind. Now that's not because we were the ones that, you know, they're embarrassed by us. It was just that that's where you had to set up shops and that's where the services were and that sort of thing. But it kind of gets into the mindset of that. Now in regards to, is it still like that? I honestly believe Jason that we are, and maybe this is why I'm so excited to be in trades education right now. I do believe we're at the dawn of a new era, especially in Alberta. Like I feel so fortunate to come to Alberta right now with this whole change in, in the way that they're looking at apprenticeship. So a few things here in Alberta is they're looking at completely revamping the apprenticeship act, which is great. And one of those things within that is this uh, term that they're using called parity of esteem. And what they want to make sure is that when students are considered vocational students, they are considered at the same level as any academic student to the point even where that when the student gets their ticket or finishes their, their trades training at a college, they're going to get a diploma. And no more, like before we would just get our, our trades qualification ticket. And then we would go on to write our red seal and get our, our interprovincial uh, ticket from there. But now they're talking about a, a honest, legitimate academic credential. So you could come out, I would have my ticket as well as have a two-year diploma behind me. So I think that is a huge step in the right direction. There's, I think there are, most people that I've talked to, like almost, I'd say 99.9% of the people I've talked to are on board with this and think it's a great thing. Uh, trades faculty are excited and cautiously optimistic because again, I think that they have been burnt a few times where they've been seen as the, that, what do you call them? The cousin, the, the not so good cousin. Yeah. yeah the, the, the poor cousin. The poor cousin. <laughs> exactly. Like I love, the, I'm going to put that up in the office. <laughs> the, the redheaded stepchild. Or yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> so I, I do think, and so I do think we see like in Alberta, we're seeing huge changes that way. We see that the Alberta government is one is to expand into what they're calling apprenticeship style expansions. So 
in Europe, we see it. And that's why I think a lot of what we're seeing with TVET comes out of Europe, because we see a lot of, they've expanded beyond just the skilled hard trades. So they're any discipline can have some form of apprenticeship in it. And typically they, I mean, some have, we have practicums in nursing and, and education, but they're wanting to expand even beyond that web development. We've talked about um, renewable energy, that sort of thing. Like why not go to school part-time and then go work in industry part-time. So we're seeing that change. So I, I really do believe we're at this dawn of a new era of trades education. I look at what's happening in BC with like BC campus is this organization, government funded organization that's doing incredible work with, with open educational resources, which is something that we'll talk about in another podcast as well. And also bringing trades educators across Canada together. So a quick plug. And by the time that this comes out, it'll either be partway through or almost done, but there was a trade summit that they put on last year, BC campus. So it started in British Columbia. Word got out by the time that they actually had this trade summit, there was, I think 60 instructors. I think I might be overshooting on that, but 60 instructors from across Canada. So where to kind of spread out from there, there it was a resounding success. They're doing it again this year. So we're bringing all these instructors to get together to talk about teaching and learning in the trades and to talk about, dare I say it, trades pedagogy, right? So there's a huge thing happening now with this. We're dawn of a new era. Yeah, very cool. Um, as you were talking, one of the things I was, I this will be where I make some kind of obscure reference, but William James wrote the varieties of religious experience. And in the varieties of religious experience, there's a chapter, the value of saintliness. And he says that, you know, we in the West have grown afraid to be poor. And the way he talks about it is like doomed to manual labor. Mm. And, and this phrase doomed to manual labor is, is one of these indicators of poverty. And so do you think like the, the chronic neglect is reflective of a larger cultural shift that, that you know, we, we don't want people, we don't want our kids to be involved in the trades. Yeah. We don't want our kids to be carpenters. We don't want our kids to be plumbers because they're, they're doomed to manual labor, even though these are some, some of them recession-proof jobs where people yep. get paid very well. So do you think it's reflective of a cultural, of a cultural shift that, that needs to occur or is occurring? It's, that's a great question. It is in the midst of an occurrence, I believe. I think when I went back to school, and maybe I'm dating myself, but when I was in high school, you there was two tracks you could take. There was the academic side, or if you weren't smart, quote unquote smart, then you took the trades side, right? So I hate to say, but like the dummies went into trades. And it's it's like you look in the pop culture, like let's, not to date myself again, but like Greece, right? Danny Zuko couldn't do well in school. So what was he doing? He's working in the shop on Grease Lightning. So I mean, that movie has problematic for a whole other <laughs> set of reasons, but... There's this idea that, you know, always the dummies ended up in trades. Now what I've seen, actually having been involved in trades education now for 12 plus years, is I started seeing, I, I taught a foundation program in BC, at BCIT in uh, Surrey, BC. And so what this is, is a foundation program where students would come in, a lot of them never having touched a tool, and they spend six months with me. And by the time they get out, they have the, their first year theory done as well as a lot of hands-on tools and all that. So when I first started teaching foundation, it was typically a lot of kids right out of high school and they would jump into the foundation program and away we go. By the time I finished teaching, I would have people in their fifties, people in their thirties. I had people who had bachelors. I had a couple master's students that just, they started seeing the value in trades education and trades itself. I mean, like you said, it's a very, very financially, it's a recession-proof job. Students typically come out making close to six figures, 
And I, I had one student tweet the other day or not a few months ago about how there's two different types of six-figure students. There's the academic six-figure student that comes out of university owing six figures on student loans. Then there's the vocational student that comes out making six figures. So that's what's happening. I think, and I've often said that trades education and trades themselves are like the best kept secret in Canada, but the secret's getting out. Like I had somebody who worked for the Department of Fisheries and Oceans leave a cushy job and was in my foundations class. And now is teach like he's actually teaching at Selkirk and in the high school system as a tradesperson, like teaching in the trades and loving his job. So yeah, I think we're starting to see that shift happen more and more. I, I think we've still got a long ways to go, but we we run into it all the time. With parents, yeah. like, why would my I want my kid to be a tradesperson? I don't want them to be doomed to that. Long, long way to go for parity of esteem, and parity of esteem is so difficult because even within post secondary, there's a there's a disparity of esteem. Yep. You know, STEM fields are STEM fields are uh, you know IT fields. Those are the the high ones. Then lower than that, you got your social sciences and humanities, and then lower than that, you've even got you even got trades, you know, and so it's this, there's a great disparity of esteem and what people think is, is, uh, is valuable within, within the culture and within academia in general. And so doing what we can to change that. So let's, uh, let's say I'm turned on, let's say I'm all right. That's great. I'm, I'm, uh, Chad, everything you're saying is speaking to me. Like uh, I'm a trades educator. I think this is great. I'm going to embrace that role of identity uh, becoming, you know, I'm not just a plumber. I'm going to become a plumbing educator. I'm not just a power engineer. I'm a power engineering professor. I'm going to do that. But you want me to engage in professional development. That is completely unreasonable because of the hours that I work. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. like how, cause, uh, how many hours do our trades instructors work? Uh, their workload seven twenty. So they're, they're busy. They're working non, like they don't have hardly any downtime. So right. there's in front of a class most of the time. Yeah, 720 hours. So we, we get there and we, we try to figure out. So this podcast then becomes one of the ways to, um, this becomes one of the ways to try yeah. to deliver some professional development. They would still have to watch this on their own time mm-hmm. whenever, whenever, they get a, whenever they get a free minute. But I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm excited. I want to be part of it. I'm going to watch this podcast, you know, for my own professional development, <laughs> edification for my own betterment. But there's still not a there's still not a consensus as to what vocational pedagogy is like who's in, who's out, what mm-hmm. are we talking about? Mm-hmm. Do you have any idea like how you can define it? Like what it is is because we've talked about we've talked about in-face active learning shop time. Yeah. But then there's also the theory part. You know, what's what is vocational pedagogy? Like how would like how would you define? Wow, that's a really good question. Um Vocational pedagogy, I mean, it's it's like experiential learning, right? So it's, and I don't want to keep using terms that would be more academic than vocational, but it's hands-on slash theoretical teaching and learning. So we're giving our students some, some practice, some theoretical uh, tools in the classroom, but then we're also taking them to put their hands on with like some sort of like, well, we have best definitely work integrated learning involved because you actually they're going out and working in the in the field and then coming back but they're also getting a lot of experiential learning by being in the shop and and building trusses and wiring up rooms so it's a mixture it's a mixture of the theoretical and experiential learning which i I guess you could almost liken it to like nursing well how's what's nursing pedagogy how's that any different than or or educational pedagogy because you've got practicums it's the same idea. Maybe that's just it, Jason, is we're 
we're trying to silo all these different types of pedagogies when we should be calling it like experiential pedagogy and, and lumping it in with that as opposed to making it just vocational pedagogy. Yeah, that's really interesting because how are some of the things that take place in trades different than yeah. nursing, for example, you know, not, not, you know, in, in other places, paramedicine. Yep. Yeah. Cause that, but what they're doing is they're putting it like their hands on, right? Like a nurse, when they learn how to draw an IV line and that sort of thing, like they're getting their hands on, they're doing, they're practicing and then they go out into the, into industry and they do it and they, they learn hands-on from that. That's no different than a, me showing a, a student how to wire up a plug 15 times and then they go out and work for somebody to do that. I mean, it's the same idea, right? So maybe that's, we need to focus more on experiential learning theory and the different kind of techniques that are involved in that. And so if we're looking for uh, professional development, that's kind of the areas that I would try to push towards and then try to wrap a, a vocational education blanket around that or a context around it. Yeah, that's why I'm really looking forward to our research project next year. Like, I think it'll be really good. This, this idea that Chad and I have had is that we're going to look at skills competitions as the signature pedagogy of trades. And mm -hmm. signature pedagogies are pedagogies that are unique to those particular disciplines. And I think skills competitions could be really neat. And we're going to look at both things like the technical skills side of things, like what we see, what we see students actually doing when they're at the competition, but also that coaching element that's, mm -hmm. that's in place that the, the coaches are involved there. So I think it'll be, I think that's going to be really neat. Yeah. We see a lot of, and I, I mean, maybe you could expand a little bit of what you mean by signature pedagogy, Jason, just to kind of give us some context. Yeah. You know, signature pedagogies are again, these, these uh, pedagogies that are discipline based that, are really only in that discipline. So one of the most common examples of, of a signature pedagogy is rounds in a hospital. You know, mm -hmm. so it's the, you know, this would be the medical signature pedagogy. The lead, the lead doctor goes around with his residents and they come to a patient and they look at the patient and they, they say, this is what was happening with the patient over the last two weeks. This is what's happening with the patient today. What do you think is going to happen with the patient in the next, uh, in the next couple of weeks and why? Mm -hmm. And then the residents have to say, well, I think this is what's going to happen. I think that this is what he has, you know, and, and that, that kind of Socratic dialogue that takes place at the bedside of a, of a patient for a diagnostic process, that's been called the signature pedagogy of trades. And I actually saw the signature pedagogy of trades, very similar done by Lee Eiserman in the automotive service technician program, where they have their, they have their car on their board. Right. Yeah. And they'll, they'll start to, the car will start to sputter. And he'll, you know, so he'll turn it on, the car will run, it will, you know, fail, it will stop running. And they'll be like, why is the, why is the car not running? Yeah. Right. And so the, the students then have to say, well, I think it could be this, I think it could be that. And then, and then when they get to the right answer, well, the, you know, there's not enough, there's not enough oxygen in the fuel line. Well, that's okay. That's what we've got to fix. That's what, you know, so what are the signs that lead to that? So that would be one example. Simulation might be one of the signature pedagogies in nursing, you know, mm -hmm. because they do a lot of simulation where they've got those high fidelity mannequins and they come in there and they've got their sound rooms and they're going through uh going through scenarios so signature pedagogy is with there and then so skills competition could be a signature pedagogy because it's unique to trades mm -hmm. i don't know anywhere else where there's where there's quite like a skills competition and that one seems like it's the scholarship of trades and when i say scholarship it's peer-reviewed from mm -hmm. what i understand you know uh the students at the end have to show their work 
to a larger community and the larger community of peers yeah. assess their work and they say, you know, gold standard or, or not as good. Like, so they peer review the, what they've done. Yeah. Yeah. Is that how it works? Yeah. Oh, totally. That's yes. And we'll get, as we, I'm sure as we start to get, dig into our research, we're going to talk more and more about that. But there's one thing that you mentioned that kind of triggered with me too, is that's like Soddle and, and trades, right? Like the scholarship of teaching and learning in regards to trades. And one thing that's top of my mind right now is because we've got our annual report coming up. And so we've been writing up reports and writing up uh, descriptions. One of the things that came through was the, your scholarly activities. And there was a call sent out across our school to make sure that you get your scholarly activities in for the report. My trades side, typically would be, they just kind of said, okay, well, it doesn't really apply to us. And so some of them actually came and talked to me, Hey, does this apply to us? And I said, it very much applies to us because a lot of what you're doing as trades instructors is applied research. I've got instructors on my uh, heavy equipment technician program, like Darren Keon and Chad, they're building simulators. Like they're buying these, these devices and then they're building simulators that are, have never been done before. And so that is applied research and it's something that could add value to their field, right? And I've got, my plumbing instructors are doing stuff. We got in Poway, we've got different things going on. Even in in uh, our BEAT program with Peter Kelly and HyFlex, there's great things going on. And don't even get me going on what Steve is doing over in information technology, right? So there's so much scholarship and te of teaching and learning that happens within the trade side that they didn't even understand that they were doing that. Um, when I talk to them about professional development, like they didn't realize that every time they read up on something that could be considered professional development, they're reading up on table saws, or if they're watching videos on how to use certain tools that can be considered professional development. This is all new to them. We're, we're lucky enough that we have an amazing research ethics board that has reached out and now has a few tradespeople sitting on the research ethics board. To me, that gets me excited. It gives yeah. me goosebumps that that's happening. So we see, and this is more a call out to other colleges, like start involving your, your vocational education department because they are, they just don't know the term pedagogy. They are actively involved in it every single day. You might be able to list off experiential learning, but they are hands-on and can offer so much to the conversation. So mm -hmm. that's something I think MHC does very, very well. And we're continuing to expand on, but uh, yeah, it's an exciting time. I think to bring that, bring that parity of esteem together. That, that word pedagogy, that word scholarship of teaching and learning, which is why some of my colleagues like the phrase applied research and teaching, which is why some other people prefer discipline-based research education, uh, you know, discipline-based, yeah, discipline-based research, education and research, right. yeah. <laughs> D-B-E-R, uh, discipline-based education research. Yeah, I think I had it right the first time, but there's a language barrier yeah. and we got to, we got to break that down. Uh, there's no there's no incentives necessarily for trades instructors to engage in scholarship, but it's but it's pretty cool because it helps prove that what you're doing works. Yeah. Not even prove not even prove that what you're doing works, but helps us understand the mechanics of how it works. And I use the word mechanics because we 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 understand how a how a shed should be put together. We understand how a you know floating cement slab should be done. We understand we understand how a boiler should be run. Mm -hmm. But the mechanics, how does teaching and learning work? How does teaching and learning work? And, and so we engage in we engage in scholarship and we engage in research to understand more about how the mechanics of teaching and learning works. Yeah. And I think with scholarship, it's always to give back to the discipline, right? Like we don't do these things for you know, the fame and the fortune, right? We don't sit down and write papers nonstop because of that. 
I mean, that's a, obviously it's a side product. <laughs> but yeah, the, the, the podcast won't make us famous not, and wealthy. <laughs> Sorry, Jason. Maybe I should have mentioned that at the beginning. But it's it's like it's something that we're giving back to the discipline of, like for us, we're giving back to the discipline of pedagogy. But it's something that trades people do anyways. As, tra- as journey people, when you're training an apprentice, you're not doing it because you have to. You do it because you're giving back to the discipline. You want to make your discipline better. So when it comes to the applied research of the work that they're doing, when you say there's no incentive, they don't really need that incentive. And the fact that they're, that's just part of the DNA of who they are. They want to give back. And so if we could support them in that and encourage them to continue in that, I think it could be quite powerful. Yeah. Well, we'll support them as much as we can because most of the, most of the, of the few sessions I have seen that have been scholarship of teaching and learning projects that have been trades focused, it's always been a trades person working with an educational developer. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I, I wish I could take all, you know, I wish I could take all trades instructors to scholarship of teaching and learning conferences because they are overwhelmingly very supportive conferences. Just like, man, so, so supportive that you're doing something cool. Yeah. You care about student learning. You want to figure out how it works. You want to figure out how it works so you can do it better. Like it's, they're just some of the most fun and supportive conferences I've ever been to. I, t- I totally agree. And it's just, and it's something that I don't know, maybe that's, I don't know why I thought that it wasn't going to be like that. There had no reason other than just kind of, I thought, okay, I'm a trades instructor. I'm not a real instructor, right? Until I started, when I took my course at Vancouver Community College for my provincial instructor's diploma, it's when I started seeing that, wait a second, there's there's this term pedagogy, there's this theory, and then there's all these different disciplines. We're having these great conversations. And that spurred me onto my master's, which kind of blew it wide open and blew my mind wide open and realizing that. The scholarship of teaching and learning is for trades instructors as well. And you don't need to be afraid of it. You don't need to be intimidated by it. There is so much value in it and you can offer just as much as you can get. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot, Chad. That was great. Um, we have some more dates on the calendar Yep. and uh, we've got OER coming up. Mm-hmm. Peter Kelly with yep. High Flex. We'll, we'll get Paul, Paul and Mark in here. Definitely. We've got, I'm got Dr. Sally Vin and I'm bringing her in whether she likes it or not. So she's the, uh, the founder of the digital tool shed slash crib movement. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We just copied her. So (laughs) we'll, uh, episodes of the digital tool crib are posted to the medicine high college teaching and learning website. And we'll get this one up, uh, just as soon as we can. And also, Jason, you can also get the Digital Tool Crib podcast on any podcast listener. You, If you go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever, it's all available there as well. So if you just want to plug us in your ears instead of having to look at our good looking faces, you can do that. Yeah. Chad, always a pleasure. You bet. Same here, Jason. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>